Hi friends, I'm Blue Mitchell, photographer, publisher, and now podcaster. You're listening to The Diffusion Tapes, a podcast where I chat with photographers, curators, and writers working in the field of fine art photography. More specifically, these tapes are conversations with people I've befriended on my journey as an artist and publisher. So now I get to learn a little more about these folks that I admire and respect, and I'm inviting you into our conversation. Welcome to The Diffusion Tapes. Hello, friends. Well, you're finally listening to the season finale. Well, I don't know if you can call nearly two years of slow releasing a season, but I'm going to go with it. It's been a crazy time for all of us, so I'm pleased to close out this chapter of the tapes by sharing my conversation with Ken Rosenthal, one of my most favorite people I've met while publishing Diffusion. For those of you new to the podcast, Diffusion is a photo publication focused on artfully crafted photography that we release under the 112 imprint. We published Ken's work in Volume 4, which, by the way, is one of the few early back issues you can get in both hardcover and softcover. Check them out at diffusionmag.com. Anyway, back to Ken Rosenthal. I caught up with Ken at Photo Lucida in 2019 and set up a studio in his hotel. In our chat, we talked about him growing up in L.A., receiving his first Kodak Instamatic from his father, who at one point owned a camera store on Wilshire Boulevard. We talked about him going to local clubs and shooting bands, studying photography in college, and later moving to New York, almost on a whim. Later in the chat, we dive into his more recent work and the publishing of his book by Dark Springs Press. Thanks for tuning in to the Diffusion Tapes, and I hope you enjoy this session with Ken Rosenthal. So I'm here in Portland, Oregon with Ken Rosenthal. Lucky me, Ken came to town for Photo Lucida. It's nice to sit down with you, Ken. No, it's, it's, it's good. It's been a few years since we were in, in Santa Fe. Yeah, it has been a few years. I think we did, uh, what, what year is that, 2000? I, I, it must have been maybe 12 or 13. Yeah, must have I been. I think. Yeah, so, so we were there for our diffusion Actually, it was a five-year anniversary show, Verve Gallery, and Jennifer Schleisinger hooked us up, and you came to town. Oh, that, that was a great, that was a great show. That was we had a good time out there. It was fun. Yeah, I had, I had a really great time. That was my first time to go down there at all ever. So, you, the yeah. first time in Santa Fe. Yeah, yeah, it was the first time. So for me, it was like vacation. Yeah, that's, <laughs> that's a, that was a great one of my very favorite towns in the country. Yeah. It's fun down there. I really enjoyed it. The weather and architecture and the landscape—it's just great. A couple of photographers rolling around. Yeah, yeah. When for that show, we had uh, we had a few people in town for that, uh, which was surprising to me how many people actually showed up because KK DePaul yeah, was yeah. there, and then Jennifer Jennifer Hudson at the time was in town as well. So we had quite a few diffusion people in town, and then there's of course other artists there. You know, it's funny about that trip is you and I hung out. Like all day, was it after the opening or the day before? Yeah, I, I think remember. it was the day before, and we might might have been the day after as well. And it was, and it was snowing, which was a yeah. treat, treat for me being in Tucson. And that yeah, was beautiful. It was, it was gorgeous. It was so nice out, and then it was like snowing. <laughs> but I remember, yeah, we were out shooting. We were out uh, messing around, walking around town, and one of the photographs I shot while we were there ended up 
going into a show at Verve, like two, oh, nice. two years later, which was great. <laughs> That's fortuitous. I was like, yeah, full circle. <laughs> yeah, it was a good time. So I guess I was introduced to you. I kind of knew your work, but Susan Bernstein wrote an article that had your work in it for Diffusion. Okay. And yeah, I think yeah. that's how I really got connected to you was through the article that she wrote. And we tried to do an annual show, if I can swing it for Diffusion. Sure. So then we did a show up in Victoria. And that show, I remember you were tra- you traveled to, up to Victoria with, with the kids yeah. to go. And you also stopped here in Portland at New Space and did an artist talk. Like on the way, right? Essentially, we, we did. We I think came to Portland, went to Seattle for a day or two, mm. and then came over to Victoria on the ferry from Seattle. Right. Okay. Yeah. So that was kind of fun because I saw you new space, and then we went up to Victoria, mm-hmm. and, then, and then the funny part was, so Dinah M- Miller, who had the Milner, Miller or Millar, Millar. Millar, I think. Kind of Millar had kid, a young daughter as well. So we had all these kids at the. You know, it's a great small gallery space, and all these kids are hanging out, which was it seemed like the most family friendly exhibit I've ever seen. Yeah, it, was, it was a super. I mean, it was a wonder, wonderful evening because uh, you know the you know my my kids were on the wall that that time, and I think they were a little bit older than the other kids, mm. and especially my older daughter just you know kind of took it upon herself to be the ringleader and get the other kids out and going because for whatever reason that you know. 10 years of age and four years of age, they didn't want to hang around a gallery and right, listen to right. people talk. Yeah, yeah. That was fun. I had a good time with that. All right, so let's 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 back up. Maybe let's just start at the beginning. Well, not really the beginning. So on the day you were born. <laughs> yes. And, and we, okay, we're, day I was born, so I was actually born the same day and was in the adjacent crib as Bridget Fonda, apparently, which was kind of weird. So Wow. I had to grow up listening to my dad talking about, you know, sitting there comparing notes with Henry Fonda, just sort of looking at his granddaughter. And anyways, that's, that's total hilarious. aside. That's hilarious. Weird story. Right. <laughs> Random. So, but, so you grew up in L.A. then? Yeah. yeah I, I mean, if you were by Bridget Fonda's crib, I'm assuming. It was, it was, yeah, I grew up in L.A. I'm a, <laughs> I'm a valley boy by trade, so. Nice, nice. Well, Side note, Peter Fonda ended up moving to Montana, and he was in Bozeman. So when I was studying film there, he was heavily involved with the film studies program. It was great because you had this like you know, famous actor basically yeah, yeah. involved with the students at Montana State. So I thought it was kind of cool. It was like, oh, and he was very like generous and open. But, you know, it was Montana. But there's actually like, quite a few celebrities over there. Yeah, he was definitely the most interesting Fonda. <laughs> Peter, the most interesting Fonda. So, so you grew up in L.A., and then I've read quite a few articles about interviews with you, and one of the things I was latching on to is, like, you had, I guess you had artistic parents, right? Yeah, my, my parents were very involved in, you know, basically collecting art. I mean, my dad had a great interest in photography, and he initially taught me photography, and I learned in the dark room that was off of our garage but he collected uh, Western, like late 19th, early 20th century uh, Western American painting. Oh, and okay. so they used to take me around to openings when I was a child over at the L.A. County Museum of Art. He was very involved with L.A. County and grew up in a home with art. So had a had a very early introduction, and they got me a little Kodak Instamatic when I was a kid, and I used to take that everywhere and constantly shoot with that. So it was almost 
predestined somehow that mm. I was going to fall into photography because I enjoyed that little instamatic more than I enjoyed probably just about any other toy. Maybe Hot Wheels was up there. But. <laughs> well, that's nice. I think a lot of people, a lot of kids don't really embrace photography that young because it's, it's a little bit difficult, I think, because you, know, you don't get to have, well, nowadays it's different, but there's no instant gratification. <laughs> no, no, not at all. I mean, you have to wait for it to come back from the drugstore and the right, little, right. little yellow envelope. And, yeah. Well, maybe that's the way it should be still, so kids can learn patience. <laughs> totally. <laughs> Instead of shooting on an iPhone or something. <laughs> One thing that I've tried a couple times is sort of cool is going out uh, to shoot with a very small memory card mm. to try and get something that's that's close to film in terms of you have a finite number of exposures, so not bringing something to back things up so that you could race if you had to. Right. Just right. actually having a set number of images and being more selective while image making. That's kind it's of a nice. smart idea. Yeah. Or we could, you could like be really disciplined and say, I, I got 12 shots. Yeah. Right. Just so, tell yourself. I'm, I'm not I going have, that far back. <laughs> <laughs> I only have 12, maybe 24. I'm, I have 24 shots. <laughs> so in, in growing up in LA, I imagine that you had a lot of photo opportunities down there. Yeah. I mean, I, I had, I did my undergraduate degree in photo it was it was in, a really interesting program that was short-lived but it was still photography through what was at, at the time usc school of cinema television is now school of cinematic arts and there were always you know little little opportunities i think as students there were certain shows that you know just sort of popped up got involved with but there was a lot of opportunity there to see photography so mm. some of the earlier photo galleries in LA. I mean, G. Ray Hawkins gallery and Fahey Klein after that. And mm -hmm. I remember David Fahey was working over at G. Ray Hawkins initially, but they, they used to occasionally have these classes in the evenings was through UCLA extension. Hmm. So I got really involved in taking a few of those and they had, you know, great series of speakers that came through. I think John DeVola was through once Joanne Callas. So hmm. had an opportunity to meet a number of or listen to a number of photographers it was like you know probably 20 and so like too intimidated actually go over and like introduce myself to to a john devola but <laughs> had the opportunity to listen to them come in and talk about their work and present their work to this gathering of, of people and that hmm. it was far and away the youngest person in this group it was you know probably mostly people in their 40s or so but that was a great, as an undergrad, an opportunity to be able to participate in something like that. That's great. So how did you even get it turned on to that scene? I mean, was it through the college? Is that how you were exposed to it? Yeah, it was. A, so I was studying with Robert Flick at, at USC, mm. and he had mentioned it to me. And it was, a, I think, a, maybe a former student of his, guy Mark Johnstone, who's a photo historian. And he was teaching some photo history courses mm. at USC at the time. And so between the two of them, they steered me over, you know, to take a look at these classes through the extension. I see. Nice. So you mentioned also, I read in some interview with you about going and uh, shooting at clubs and stuff like that when you were a teenager. Yeah, that was that was how I think I, you know, had a very early, you know, introduction to shooting on a very regular basis. As growing up in L.A., I was a complete like club rat. And hmm. so spending a lot of time on the Sunset Strip hitting shows 
at the Roxy and the whiskey. So how, as a teenager, how did you get into shoot? How did they, I mean, were you- uh, it was yours. Literally you're, you're take separating the lens from the 35 millimeter body and stuffing it in your pants because you're not <laughs> supposed to bring, you know, a camera in at that time gotcha. and just trying to be very subtle with it. Right. But I, I mean, I've, I shot so many amazing groups over the years back from, you know, probably 1979 through the mid eighties wow. that had come through and, and I remember photographing first first show I can really remember doing that with was the Lou Reed show mm-hmm. that I think was at the Roxy around nineteen seventy nine and shot some triax and like went home that night in such a rush and like went into the little dark room off the garage, processed the film, probably did something stupid like blow dried the film so I could make contact <laughs> that same night and right. looked at it. But yeah, that that really got me hooked. Yeah, yeah. That well a really, uh, little Lou Reed on Triax would do that. Yeah, no, totally. <laughs> That's great. So did you, as a kid, were you thinking about photography maybe could it w- would be your profession or were you just playing with it? I, you know, I entered uh, undergrad as a psychology major. And I thought mm. at the time that I, you know, that was going to be field because that, that seemed um, like a, a really curious field to me. And I think we had the, there was like a little, you know, like subgenre of movies about Therapy, you know, mm. at that time, like, like I'm trying to remember the films with Timothy Hutton and uh, Mary Tyler Moore and Donald Sutherland. I can't remember the title right now, but that seemed very appealing. And I started at USC, and I, I think I failed my first two psych classes and got a little <laughs> behind. So quickly shifted gears. Uh, second year, I was like, okay, I'm going to take some electives, and I took a photography class. And this was the first actual photography class I'd taken. I'd never taking a high school photo class mm. and it was with Robert Fleck and uh, he, he was such an amazing teacher and mentor and I got, I got hooked. Sure. Yeah. Turn the corner there. Yeah. Right. So as you were you know, going through college and stuff, were you, were you always thinking uh, as far as your photography was concerned that you would be doing fine art or, or did you look at other avenues for photography? I was I, fine art was, I was interested in, I was making you know, I think the the undergrad equivalent of fine art photography (laughs) and just starting to find my voice. But I I think in my mind, you know, I thought like, okay, I want to, I want to do some editorial work because I was, you know, at the time, Interview Magazine was quite big and there were a few local LA magazines like LA Style. And I was very interested in doing portraiture and looking at the work of some of the black and white photographers a lot of black and white photographers in the West Coast who were, you know, kind of doing celebrity portraits like mm. Greg Gorman, Herberts, and Matthew Ralston at the time. Sure. And I thought I wanted to do that. And when I graduated from undergrad, I went out to New York for, for a wedding. And I took my little portfolio of, of portraits that I'd been making with me and was act- actually able to set up a couple of appointments while I was there to meet with a few photo editors, but wound up just falling into, by happenstance, getting an interview with Arnold Newman. He was looking for a printer at the time hmm. and came across it through a friend of my friend's and wound up getting the job printing for him and had, you know, I was in New York and I had a week of worth of clothing with me and my little book and then had to figure out, okay, so I, I have a place back in LA that I'm renting and now... I am suddenly living here in New York, so 
Wow, that was a new Good turn choice. of events. <laughs> it, it was a cool. It was, it was a really cool turn of events because he he was a portraitist that was a huge huge influence on me. Continues to be. I mean, he's he was one of, one of the the great photographers to my mind. But that was yeah, that was a very fortuitous thing and yeah. unexpected. I'm going to back up a little bit. You, you said your dad was a photographer. What kind of stuff did he do when you were a kid? Yeah, he he did a lot of landscape work. So he he wasn't. Uh, you know, by profession, a photographer. Mm. I think a lot of other people of his generation had dark rooms at home, and but it was his passion. Uh, he Excellent. loved it. So he he used to take road trips with some friends of his, and he shot a lot of four by five, some medium format, and so he would oftentimes go out towards Arizona, Utah, Montana, a lot lot of the territory that I'm going through now, mm. and going out in landscape. And I think for him, it was. Not only he loved the medium and he loved creating work and then getting into the darkroom on the weekends, but I, I think he also enjoyed the act of, of travel and that being a part of his life. And also, I, th- I think he would go out with other people, so there was an element of the camaraderie that mm-hmm. I think binds a lot of us in the medium when we're at an event like this at Photo Lucida. There is this, you know, s- sense of it was like family, community, mm-hmm. and 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 that was this was on a much smaller scale, like one or two guys going out, did he, drinking and shooting, and right? Fun. Yeah, was he involved with like photo clubs, or was that just sort of his? I, I think. Well, he actually owned a camera store oh, years wow. back yeah. in the, I think, fifties through the early sixties. It was mm-hmm. called Wilshire Camera. It was on Wilshire Boulevard in L.A., and so I think he did have some involvement. I don't know if he was a participant or if he helped organize mm-hmm. some right. through the store. But yeah, I know he was involved on some level right. with some of the photo clubs. Yeah. The, the photo club thing is really intriguing to me because I feel like you and I were talking last night about the community of photography and how it's so unique that the photographers are, are so um, bonded and less competitive and more like, you know, just basically trying to lift each other up. And I feel sure. like it's kind of been that like that. I mean, of course I wasn't around, but I, I feel like it's been like that with the photo clubs with, you know, and there's, you know, there's a lot of documentation of like a lot of these, you know, early photographers that are getting together and working together and sharing information and on process or, you know, or, or just like, you know, just supporting each other, publishing each other's work, mm-hmm. you know, getting stuff into exhibits, you know, making their own, you know, basically creating their own photo world, essentially. Like we're doing the galleries, we're doing the the publications and, you know, you look at us like, well, these are, these are all photographers, <laughs> you know, working with each other doing it. And I feel like it's kind of still like that in a lot of ways. You know? I, I, very much so. And I, I think we have, it, it's a rare thing because I know from talking to friends that are artists and other mediums and you you talk about what we have with the review events and Mm -hmm. going out with your friends you know taking a road trip to go out and shoot and helping each other out you know with information about different exhibitions or galleries you might want to look at or museum or so on and they're like wait a minute you guys you guys help each other because they tend to be uh, my impression they tend to be very territorial right, and kind right. of guarded about what information they're letting out there. Well, yeah, if I share this information, then you're going to number one steal my ideas, but then also steal my connections. Right? Yeah, and <laughs> take advantage of it. Yeah, and that's I think so counterintuitive to the way people in our our medium think, which is, which is nice. It right, is right. photography is so. So broad, you know, there's yes. so many ways yeah. of doing photography, but so we're, I'm talking about, I think a little bit more specifically about fine art photography. It, it just impresses me that that holds true to this day and that it just it blows my mind that that 
is the way it is when, you know, I expect it to be way more cutthroat and yeah, I just, I just wonder like what's in the psyche of photographers <laughs> that's different in that way. You yeah, know? <laughs> I, I, I don't know what, what that is. Yeah. I'm, I'm glad it's the way that it is. Yeah. I, I feel like we, we got lucky. Yeah. We chose that profession. Absolutely. <laughs> like, oh, Cause I didn't know. I mean, I, if I didn't known that before I started studying photography, I might've even like pursued it earlier. <laughs> like, Hey, that, right. that seems like my people, right? <laughs> so one of the things that I was thinking about too, I've had these moments in the last few years of when one of my favorite photographers becomes one of my favorite people. And I was curious if that's happened to you in your career as a photographer. Oh, a- absolutely. I mean, it's, there are probably too many people to to mention. I mean, mm-hmm. me- meeting you has, has been a great gift. Hiroshi Watanabe is somebody who I met probably around the time that I was just starting to exhibit work and getting work out there. Mm. And I had seen his work online and I knew that he was out in LA and I just, you know, shot him an email and said, Hey, I was, you know, really, you know, enjoy your work. I get out to LA somewhat regularly, see family would love to get together. And we developed a friendship and he's somebody who I think is, is just one of the best pure photographers mm-hmm. and such a great artist and just has such a, a wonderful soul. I really connected with him. I've had the opportunity to meet Keith Carter on a few occasions and he was somebody who was a huge influence on me and just a great person. Mm-hmm. I love Susan Bernstein, Aline Smithson, and there's so many people in our medium. Yeah. Back, back home, you know, we've got a nice, really great Arizona community. So it's like Dave, David Emmett Adams out there, Chris Colville, mm. Mike Lundgren. We've got so many great people out there. So we're, we're lucky. Yeah. Um, yeah. I agree. Yeah. It's a, such a, a great experience when you have, um, and I think this just goes back to where we were talking about the, the community part of it is like, even those people that you think are, would be untouchable, like a famous actor, for instance. Right, right. right. <laughs> because, and then as soon as you get that opportunity, it's like, oh, you know, and I've met that with several of my, my heroes in photography. It's like, they have that same mentality of it's, you know, about the community and being gracious and stuff Absolutely. like that. Absolutely. And, and of course, there's not everybody's like that, but from my experience, my favorite ones are like been like that. <laughs> uh, yeah, definitely. Definitely. <laughs> there's actually some people that you expect to be not that way because of their artwork. You know, you look right. at the artwork and be right. like, hmm, they're going to be a troublesome one to deal with <laughs> just based off of the artwork, you know. But of course, then you're pleasantly surprised. Maybe they're not like that. But I like jumping around, as you noticed. When you were doing the the club stuff when you're right. when you were younger and you're going to the clubs for the music and stuff like that. I have not really spent much time in L.A., but there was definitely, especially at your age growing up, there was definitely an L.A. scene in music down there. I mean, was that something you thought about doing, like being like a rock star photographer or whatever? Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, yeah. that was definitely something that I was thinking about. I mean, when I mentioned that, you know, one of the things I did when I got to New York was setting up. Uh, some appointments with various magazines. So Rolling Stone magazine was one of the magazines. I thought, oh yeah, I'm mm. gonna, you know, be a Rolling Stone photographer. Right, right. Yeah, you know, that never went down that road at all. But yeah, at the time, that seemed very appealing, right. without a doubt. So, what kind of music were you going to besides Lou Reed? <laughs> I was going to well, it was a lot of the like the British new wave and new psychedelic. So, 
I had seen U2 when they were on their first tour uh, when Boy was out. Hmm. And they played, there was this little club out in the San Fernando Valley. I think it was Canoga Park, and it was called the Country Club. And it was a rainy Sunday night, and there was, I think, all of about 30, 40 people there. Huh. And they were young. I mean, they must have been in their, their teens and early 20s at that time. And they played the first album, you know, everything off of Boy, and ran out of songs and just started playing it again. <laughs> Which was such a good show. <laughs> we're just going to repeat the catalog. Yeah. Not even do covers. No, no. <laughs> but yeah, like uh, early Echo and the Bunnymen shows, Psychedelic mm. Furs. Yeah, just what, whatever was coming through that was getting played on our local station out there, KROQ. Hmm. 106.7 FM, which <laughs> out in Pasadena. So has the music been a part of your photography at all? Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, I think that that's one of the things that I draw inspiration from. I tend to really appreciate artists that, that their music is very visual to me, mm. you know, mm. and that, that are great storytellers. So there's certain albums and songs, artists that I listen to that, you know, I'm I'm seeing small films in my head as I'm listening to their music. And oftentimes that kind of, you can even set the stage for a series or I like to sometimes listen to it as I'm going, if I'm out shooting, particularly if I'm hiking in somewhere, listening to some. And certainly when I'm on, on the road, when I'm going out shooting, mm-hmm. you know, there's certain playlists that I'll make for each road trip, you know, kind of whatever the tenor of the series is that I'm working at, I try to find music that is in alignment with that Mm. or maybe even speaks to to that work. Sure, sure. Now, do you ever have the reverse where you look at the work and can remember your your mixtape for the... Oh, that's a good question. (laughs) I I don't know. I think it's more the other direction. Sure, right. Without a doubt. Sure, okay. Interesting. Do you have any siblings? I have two. I have a brother and a sister that both live out in L.A. They're both a little bit older. My brother's, I think, about nine years older. Okay. Sister's around 11 years older. Yeah. Did they ever show interest in photography? Or? No, not, not, not as much that I can recall. I think now with, with iPhones, they're both, both made, you know, probably like most people, a little more active photographing right. things. But sure. I think I'm the only one in the family of the siblings that got, got the, uh, the photo bug. Nice. So actually, it, actually, my sister, yeah, she did. She did for a while when I was younger. She was actually very interested in portraits and, oh, and okay. shooting portraits. Nice. So, what does your sister do? She is retiring soon. She's a she's been a math teacher out in LA for quite a while. Okay. Her background was in math and computer sciences, and I think this June, it's like she steps away from teaching, so gets to go on and. Explore new avenues. Nice, nice. Yeah, new chapter. Mm-hmm. Nice. What about your brother? He has been in banking for a number of years, and I believe he is about ready to retire as well. Nice. Well, good for them. Yeah, and he'll be like, he'll be like I think spending a lot more time up at our family cabin up in Washington State. So I'm mm-hmm. envious of that. He's got good plans to be up there. I think around half the year. So nice. that should be nice. He needs to get a warm coat because it is chilly up there most of the year. <laughs> Well, let's talk about your cabin. Where's the cabin at? So it's in the extreme northeast corner of Washington State. So from Spokane, it's probably around 90 to 100 miles just due north from Spokane. Okay. And it's maybe 20 minutes, 30 minutes south of the British Columbia border. Mm-hmm. And it's just really rugged, off the grid, remote. 
Right. Do you get spot. do you get cell service out there? No cell service. Nice. So yeah. you really are off the grid. So you have you actually have a lot of artwork revolving around that cabin in that area. Yes. Um, so let's talk about that. The your you have a book that just came out, and I want to talk about that in a second. Sure. But the series you did. And are you still working on the forest series? The forest is is complete. Okay. I, I I think the last images that I shot for the forest was in 2016, and I okay. started that around 2011. Well, tell tell us a little more about that. Like, what was the the images for the forest? Just um, for our listeners who haven't seen it, they're very dark. Yes. Right. And but it is the it is the the natural surroundings around the cabin, correct? Yes, yeah. So it's all within you know arms reach of your the cabin and yeah. that, in that kind of remote area. So what what was really the the impetus for shooting that work? Well, initially, I start. I I didn't set out like with most most bodies of work I do. I usually don't have an agenda, hmm. and I hadn't set out to uh, make a series. Although I, I think you know probably in the back of my mind. I was aware that I might be exploring it more because I, I had shipped my computer up that year. It was at the point where I had a dead laptop. So like an idiot, I shipped an iMac up to a very remote area where it was hard to, you know, retrieve it. <laughs> that was a whole other show I'm not going to get into. But <laughs> I had I'd sent that up and I, I had the digital camera up and I was started going out for walks in the evening. So this was when my youngest daughter, who's now eight, was but had first been born, and she wasn't up there yet. I was up with my two older daughters, and they'd been going through, I think, a little bit of sibling rivalry, mm. and they were both, you know, into their teens at that point, and were at that stage, I think, where most of us, when we're in our teens, you know, maybe a little difficult. <laughs> and so just the three of us up there, I was starting to have a little cabin fever. Mm. So every night, once I got them situated, I would, you know, just excuse myself and go out and, and take a walk. Okay. And just to kind of clear my head. And it was really nice having that sort of, you know, really quiet time after boisterous days being out in this landscape that, you know, I'd known so intimately for my whole life and just, you know, having a quiet, silent walk through this, through the woods and it gets dark quite late. And that, that has always appealed to me when I was a kid would always with, with my buddies next door, we would, we would go out late at night Mm -hmm. either, you know, by saying, hey, we're going out for a bit or sneaking out really late at night. And there's something really kind of exhilarating about being out, you know, in a forest late at night. There is this, you know, slight element of of danger, Mm -hmm. the unexpected. And there's a stillness and a quiet out there that is just rare, especially, you know, when you live in a city, even something like Tucson, it's very different. So I started, you know, you know, I usually had my iPhone with me. So I was trying to take a few pictures and this was an earlier iPhone. So that, that wasn't producing a whole lot. And I started taking out my, my digital SLR with me, which was one of the uh, 5d Mark two. So it had a sensor that was really geared for low light Hmm. and making a few images and bringing them back. And once I had the kids fully down for the night, 
would put them on the computer and start looking at them. Mm-hmm. And it was, I was really, really curious about these longer exposures and just what was happening with the colors in it. And I was like, oh, this is kind of interesting. And, you know, thinking like, am I making some color photographs? And <laughs> as I started playing around with them over the summer, I just found myself keep pulling back on the saturation and subduing the color. And I'm like, okay, yeah, no, you're black and white photography. <laughs> this is like, <laughs> so, you know, really started looking at those more once I got back from that first year and I was back in Tucson and looking at them. And each year that I worked on it, there was something different in my life that I was working through, some sort of challenge. And I think that first year, it was just sort of the, you know, the changing dynamic in the family where mm-hmm. all of a sudden there was a new child in the family. It was from from a second marriage and trying to navigate those waters, getting the kids on board with each other mm-hmm. and the obvious rivalry that pops up or the demand for attention when there's a baby who really needs your attention and sure. that, that kind of like they're not the baby anymore. Right. And then the next year I was up there, I was working through it and I had had some issues with my vision where I had developed cataracts very suddenly hmm. and unexpectedly. And it was a very aggressive strain of them where the year before there had been no sign of cataracts and then they needed to come out right away. They were beyond ripe wow. and my vision had been had really deteriorated. I'd lost my night vision and uh, my eye doctor didn't want me to go up to photograph, but I really wanted to go up because I knew that while it was a very, you know, like a, like a minuscule risk of anything even going slightly wrong, when you're a photographer, I think, and somebody's going to take a scalpel to your eyeball, you get a little itchy about that. And you're like, <laughs> yeah. So I felt like, okay, I want to, I want to just in the off chance something happens, I want to work on this. And so right, I think... Get it in while I can, just in case. Yeah. yeah. And so I, th- I think some of the anxieties from, from that issue started to weigh on my mind a little bit. And so each, each year there was a different sort of challenge that I had while I was working on that that definitely was reflected uh, within the series. Sure. Yeah. Well, that's the darkness. Yeah. Well, the other interesting thing about that is it's like obviously metaphorical for what you were going through, but, but also you've had that cabin for a while and probably spent a lot of time there in the day, daytime. And then you're at, now you're out shooting at night and it kind of recontextualizes the environment. Even for you've been there, you know, embracing that nighttime version of the area is, you know, it's like you were saying earlier with Anytime you're in anywhere that's when it's dark, you start, our eyes can't see very well right. and things start to blend together. And like, so it, it completely changes the landscape and the, and the mood of it. Absolutely. I mean, I, there's something I really, you know, as, as I worked on it for a little while, you know, I really, I really wanted to try and get, get these prints to look similar to how I experienced them. And to that point where, yeah, where, where you're out in the dark and you spend some time there, you get set up and then just kind of take in the surroundings, you know, before making the image and really letting your eyes adjust and seeing how much detail emerges hmm. in the, you know, the pitch black in what's an incredibly dense forest within the Selkirk Mountains. Even on a night with very little moon, it's so far removed from any population there's no light pollution up there it's one of Mm. the true dark sky um, areas in the country 
And so try, trying to, to capture that and, and then it made sense to me, of course, this being black and white on several levels, but also because it, it really is this palette was, was basically shifted from very verdant greens to this, you know, gray, black, and slight bluish mm-hmm. quality out there. Yeah, yeah. And it was just, you know, I started thinking a lot about charcoal drawings. You know, when I, when I got back after that first year, I was like, yeah, I wanted to take this away from the traditional photographic print a little bit and tr- and try and have these resemble charcoal drawings which mm-hmm. is what was going through my mind as I'm, as I'm looking at this scape because it is that very kind of soft and sort of blurred and smoothed out yeah area. yeah little velvety mm-hmm. yeah. yeah i can see that yeah i shoot a lot at night and i have that a similar experience like for years I was just shooting and my idea was just to stay in my own yard and shoot at night and just see how many different, you know, environments I can find that I don't normally see. Right. You know? And it, and it was really about light, available light, obviously. And, and I'm talking about in the, you know, in the city. So we have light pollution. Sure. <laughs> sure. So there's, there's, you know, there's street lights and all that kind of stuff that, that interfere with it. But that's why I, I thought it was interesting because it recontextualized the whole, my whole yard, you know, like, mm-hmm. and you have a decent sized yard. So I have lots of little pockets I can, I can photograph. And, nice. but the one thing that I thought was really intriguing about that, and it's similar to what you're talking about, that experience of going out and doing these long exposures and then basically reseeing the area. And, and also the, you know, I, I feel like it, it's almost like it's, I mean, this is going to sound all foo foo, but it's, it's like this magical world that it, we just, can't really see but when you have the camera you can capture it with a long exposure we don't see that way so i don't sit there and stare at something and it gets more clear i mean mm-hmm. at night unless i have magic eyes or something <laughs> <laughs> but I, you know it's like the human eye is much different than a lens you know and, and a sensor in this case mm-hmm. so, anyway i relate to that experience of going out and shooting in, in the night but what what i find interesting is you know we, we know tons of photographers that shoot at nighttime but how you interpret those images, you know, yours, when I first saw them coming out and, and it, it, you know, it was a few years back that I first saw some of the work, I was concerned. <laughs> it's like, oh shit, what's Ken going through, you know? <laughs> and, and maybe if I didn't know you, I wouldn't have worried about it, you know? And I was like, right. what's going on with Ken? Does anybody know what's going on with Ken? <laughs> <laughs> I've heard that a little bit. Yeah, no, it definitely, I mean, I was in, I went through a few dark, dark periods over the years, so. <laughs> kind of like emerged, but you know, for me, that was really jumping into that work. That was a really kind of safe way to work through some issues and oh, sure. to to yeah. kind of not not so much vent, but to you know sort of just let let it out. You know, no, yeah, that's great. Well, that's what it's for. Well, I talk about all the time on the podcast about art therapy, yeah, not, not literal art therapy, but doing art as a way of like dealing with life and absolutely whether it's good, bad, or or just a way for you to just go be alone and create something, you know, for yourself. Right. that's, that's really what it's all about for me. But the, I gotta be careful when I say art therapy, though, <laughs> like I don't want to insult our no, art therapists no, no, out no, there. No, of course not. Because that's like real art therapy. So that, that area that the forest is shot in, you just released a book here. Yes. Called days on the mountain. Yeah, and and be- I have night one before last. The <laughs> night before last here at Folos. So we had a book fair at Folosetta and we had, I think we had, I don't know, 10 publishers there. 
Yeah, it was about so, 10 or 12. So yeah, 10 or 12 good. publishers from all over, which is mm-hmm. great. And so Ken was here with releasing Days on the Mountain by Dark Springs Press. Let's Well, first off, let's just talk, how did the book come about? You worked with Andy Burgess, right, on yes. the book with Dark yeah. Springs. So how did, how did you guys decide to do this project? Well, a- Andy and I had met probably six or seven years ago at least. And we met initially through... Our little kids. So we have, mm. for some context, we each have eight-year-olds, and he has a son. I have an eight-year-old daughter. They're like this old, you know, like cute little old married couple that like <laughs> love each other to death, but squabble and bicker right, about right. the silliest things. And so we we met him, and it was wonderful to meet a fellow artist through your kid's school because it's like, mm. oh my gosh, there's a parent that I actually want to talk to. Right, right. So we became good friends. And he had been, when I had been going through any number of struggles, he was such a dear friend. He was the person when I was in a really bleak space who would, you know, whatever time of day or night, he would come over or have me over to the studio to hang out and help me through a lot of things. Mm -hmm. And when I was going through a really difficult period, a couple of years ago, I had a child who started having some medical problems. And... That's when I started working on this book. I started going back through a lot of the old photographs that I had made up around the cabin, and not images from the forest series, but images going back to when my oldest daughters were little kids. Mm-hmm. And I think trying to, I don't know if I was searching for, for kind of clues as to what was going on, or if I was, you know, just, you know, trying to find like these, these pleasant moments or poignant moments but poured through thousands and, and thousands of digital images that had built up. So mm. things that were, you know, in Lightroom catalogs scattered all over my computer, <laughs> no state of order at all because I'm, I have a ter- I have no workflow. Somebody <laughs> help me. But um, in, in sorting through these, and I didn't know exactly what I was doing at the time, but I, I felt like there was a story in there, and I started putting, you know, ganging up images into Photoshop documents, print, spitting them out on a color Xerox machine at, mm. at a FedEx office, trimming them up, putting them onto index cards, and wound up with about 500 images. And, you know, I was thinking, like, there's, there, there is a story in here. And I wasn't, wasn't quite sure what that story was. But over a several-month period, and again, as a way of trying to keep my head above water and keep myself focused and not, you know, drifting into a really dark space thinking about everything that was going on mm-hmm. was spending, you know, long nights, you know, and long days just shuffling through these images tr- and constantly trimming down, creating relationships between certain images, you know, had all these little piles all over the table. <laughs> and over probably about a three, four month period, it, it came together in a book form, mm. and it was it told a story, at least for me, that was really important. And I went up to this lab in Phoenix, Arizona, or in Gilbert, Arizona, Art Intersection, where I print at, and mm. I printed up a, a nice maquette. I got some double-sided paper and put it together, and I, sh- I showed it to um, this woman, Car- Karen Barman, who was a curator from the Netherlands, and she mm. was on a research fellowship for a while at the Center for Creative Photography. And she she had some really great insights into it. And she got it, and she gave me a lot of encouragement 
to you know that yes this is this is a story this is this is a book you've you've got this here and i showed it to andy not that long after and and he he really reacted to it very well he he quite liked it and just over the years we kept talking about it and andy's an amazing painter and he you know became very interested in photography and started practicing photography and collecting photography and collecting photography books. And then a few years ago, started Dark Spring Press. And, you know, occasionally we would talk about it and he'd say, hey, we should, you know, you know, that that little book, we should think about that. And I was mm-hmm. like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I'd had it in my mind. I, I was going to self-publish it. Oh, right. And it wasn't, you know, there's no fire burning on that. I didn't mm-hmm. really... It was it was there, and I'm I'm somebody that work, typically works very methodically, and I just kind of wait. I don't like to you let it marinate. Yeah, let it marinate, mm-hmm. and just make sure it's right. And then, you know, any number of times we sort of had this conversation. And then I think it was this January or so. It was around the time that I had this this show coming up with a couple of guys out at the New Mexico Museum of Art, and he said, you know, you know, we're both going to be out at at, at Photo Lucida. Why don't we? Let's do this. Let's do this together and let's get it out. Maybe we can get it together in time and we can, you know, take it out to Oregon. And it would be, yeah. you know, what a great thing to be able to, you know, bring that out freshly. And so it was like, yeah, let's let's do it. And so working with with somebody that I've been really close with, you know, for a number of years now, it was great. I mean, because we, we both were very familiar with the work, familiar with each other. And it just felt like a very natural, you know, kind of like collaboration way yeah, as we started great. working on it. Yeah. I, you know, I had a very, we've only published one book, Jake Shiver's right. book. And I had a very similar experience with him because we were already friends and I knew his work really well. And then we also had talked about like, Hey, we should do a book. It was more jokingly, you know, like, Hey, we should do a book. Well, I hadn't done any books yet. So <laughs> I don't know about that, but you know, yeah, but you'd had, you'd had any number of issues of diffusion out at right, the time. Yeah. So. And I, yeah, I did have that, but the partnership was so great, you know, and in mm-hmm. the, the relationship of creating this book together and all the nuances to doing it. Well, we did like a Kickstarter. So it was long, longer term, right. know, like production and, but, you know, it just made our friendship tighter, which oh, is, sure. you know, it was so interesting, you know, like, cause I, I felt like, you know, we were, we were good friends, but then after the book, it's like, no, we're, we're really good friends. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> and well, I guess I could have went sour. <laughs> <laughs> well, that, that, that was, you know, that's always a concern, you know? And right. so what was cool is like, you know, we were really good at communicating about things just so we'd had everything out there. Cause neither of us wanted to have any issues ever come between friendship. And I right, was like, first, right. first and foremost, that that's friends first. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. <laughs> that's great. So I have the book. I'm looking at it. It's in my hand. It's it's quite nice. Thank you. What is the what is this binding called? I forget. It is. I, th- I think somebody referred to it as a Swiss binding. Swiss it's binding. In, in, yeah, I think you're right. For people called exposed stitch. Right, right. Oh, it's lovely. I just love the way you guys have done this. Uh, oh, I did notice too. I'm looking through the so can I buy the book at the book fair and then I go home that night and I see my name in the back and the yeah. acknowledgements. And I no, like, it's, it's, I put, you know, there are any number of people. So it's like my, you know, our artists for artists, you know, group, you know, mm-hmm. you and Susan and Jennifer who put so much time and effort into doing, you know, the artists for artists print sale at the end of every year. It's like, you know, you guys are, are important to me, you know, as friends and, <laughs> organizing this and a way to kind of you know give give a lot of people uh, a little bit of exposure and right. bring work for the forefront but yeah no it's 
Well, you Friends get exposure, and, and, and you get a, yeah, and you get to sell prints, and you mm-hmm. you you get all the money on the sales, which is the kind of why we really got into it. Yeah, you know, this is really it. Really, is all about the artist. It's, you know, it's not anything else, which is why it's like a, a collective style, right? So, in the book, you have one of my favorite people who did the written George. piece in here, George Slade. And yeah. so, of course, and I was like, oh, great, what did George have to say? Yeah, no. <laughs> and it's interesting, he he was talking about your Forest series mm-hmm. in here, and I wrote down, I wrote down the quotes, I thought it was great. And I think this is, this is so George, the way he wrote this, but he wrote, the fairy tale forest we met in childhood is dark and sinister. There be monsters, surely, and we re-encounter those latent terrors here i thought wow that is the forest yeah no he 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 really got it and i knew you know four years ago i knew like when when karen barman had said to me so what about text i said well i I really want george slade to write the text because i had met him i think was the first photo review i'd gone to Hmm. it's probably like the second or third person i'd ever shown my work to and we we had this real, real instant connection where I felt he really understood the work that I was doing at the time. And mm-hmm. it was a lot of work that, that dealt with uh, family and a lot of portraits of my kids. And we, we always had a, a really good dialogue a, about family. And it, it just made perfect sense. There really wasn't anybody that I thought would have been a more appropriate voice you know, to bring into this project than George. And sure. I was, I was so honored that he was, you know, had the time and the inclination to, to do the writing for this. It was, it was terrific. All right. So, so the, the book though is not about the forest, but no. I'm, I'm curious. So he talks about it here and then he also, and you as well in your, in your statement in the book, is this a bit of a reaction to the forest? This book about your family, it's more intimate. The photos in here have, uh, there's many images of your kids and just the environment of uh, of the cabin. Mm-hmm. And so do you think it's a reaction a little bit to the other stuff in a more, you know, happy light or uh-huh. or is it or is yeah. it really unrelated to you? How does that No, feel? it's related. It's I would say it's it's somewhat of a reaction. It's to me it definitely serves I think almost as like a prologue or an introduction to the forest series mm-hmm. because a lot of the Things that were going on in my life, a lot of the family dynamics and issues that kind of informed and shaped the narrative of the forest are, are depicted in here or referenced in here. Mm-hmm. So this, I think, kind of feeds into it very naturally. And it was really nice to do this first. This this was, you know, book was really conceived of as as the book being the final object. This wasn't mm-hmm. any series that I, I I'm not saying never, but I don't think I'm going to really release this prints beyond the little ones we did for the limited edition. I really just conceived of this as, as an artist book. Hmm. And yeah, so that's great because the way, I mean, just from me looking at it, you know, briefly over the last few days, it, it does feel like it, it may only make sense in book form. Yes. You know, unless you had a unique way of like putting a bunch of prints together. But to me, like a, a great book, that that really is only a book is is you know it's not like a book of a series like you're saying it's a, it's actually you know this work is meant to be a book and how that relationship you know page to page from image to image and the way it's laid out and you know that tells the story in the book 
and it's really hard to do that, you know, if you're buying a single print of something. Oh yeah. Of course, of course there's a lot of great single images well, in here. <laughs> I mean, there are definitely, I appreciate that. I, I think there are, yeah, there's, there's some images that I think really hold up beautifully. So the last, the last page yeah. of the book, yeah. can you tell me about it? It's a dark picture. It's, it is a dark picture, <laughs> but it, what's interesting is it is one of the darkest pictures that I've ever made, but it's all about light. You know, mm. it is about this. Is this Franny? That, that's Harper. This is Harper. Okay. Yeah. And, and so it is about this, you know, kind of sense of wonder that I think we sometimes get to see as we watch our kids and, mm -hmm. and see the way that they see the world. And so it, it, it is her at night and she's kind of illuminated you know, in sort of just along like her profile. Mm -hmm. And it, it's a very black on black image with this illumination, but it is, it's not at all a, a, a thematically dark image. Uh, to me, it is just all about this light and this, you know, this wonder that we can have as kids as we view the night sky and we start to kind of maybe put ourselves everything into perspective and the universe. And mm -hmm. you kind of imagine the little wheels turning and, taking it in and that's that to, it to me it's one of the most precious images that i've taken you mm. know and reacting i think in part as a parent but it's yeah if it was that proverbial you know like things you grab in the fire it would be one of the you know an image of that right would be one oh it's beautiful and, and like you said she's she's her gesture is looking up. Yeah. So you do get that feeling of she's being illuminated yeah. you know, by the moon or, or whatever it is. But yeah, it's it's very strong. It's a great end cap for your book. So. Thank you. And also, you guys did a great job with reproduction. Like yeah. Dark images are very hard for printing. Yeah, no, it, that was one of the images where we were like, God, I hope we, I hope this one translates. I hope we get enough in there. Right. And yeah, when we got the proof, first proofs back, we're like, okay, this is good. But that was one of those images where, you know, if we had to, I was definitely willing to, you know, burn plates, you know, go back and mm -hmm. redo, redo to get that image. Because for me, that image was, was really key. Yeah. Well, it's important. Yeah. You know, you know, especially you want your end cap to be wrong. No. no. <laughs> so how many, how many books has Andy done prior to this one? I believe if I'm correct, I, this might be the sixth or seventh that's come out, or maybe the eighth. Nice. But he's he's gotten a, quite a few done in about two years since he started Dark Spring. Excellent. So it's, it's he's rolling. He's rolling, and I, it's interesting to see. I think as as he keeps going, he keeps getting new ideas. He's somebody that doesn't want to repeat himself. He's somebody that you know feels very strong about whatever he takes on if it's something he loves he's going to do it right you now he works from the heart that's you know, nice to see it's a good friend to have yeah absolutely <laughs> good partnership totally well excellent that kind of wraps up our time and are you headed home now after photo Lucida? yeah um, i've got a few hours i'm gonna bop around pals a little bit go through the photo book section nice hit some of the food trucks here and then yeah. get home tonight and Get get it, jump into work on the, the you know getting the book out there. I've got a lot of pre-orders, so shipping that out, and mm. then show coming up in a couple weeks, opening at Clompton Gallery. Nice. Some some vintage. Is that a solo show? I uh, no, it's a two-person show oh, okay. with Lynn Silverman. Oh, cool. And uh, some old, interesting. It'll be some older work, some mm. some silver prints, which is kind of nice, you know, sort of. Will that like be from the here, not there? 
It is from there. There's some from a couple different series. Some from seen and not seen. There seen is not seen. That's what I was thinking. Yeah, yeah, yeah. There's, I think, some from Days Between. A couple from That Was a River. This is the Sea. It's sort of a little, huh? little bit of this, little bit of that. Nice. Yeah, nice grouping that 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 Deborah's picked out. So yeah, that's over Clumping on the 16th of May is the opening, and then the 18th of May we're doing a book signing. That'll all be up, I think, on their website, but this this might be post-it. Post, uh, That's post right, it. yeah, this episode will be out. Yeah, so... After that. Yeah, so go, go so online go and look. the archive <laughs> yeah. of Clumping's yes. shows. <laughs> yes, yes. So as far as projects, uh, you brought... What did you show people here at Photo Lucido? I mo- mostly showed uh, the Forest series, but I also brought the new series that I'm working on that I've been about three and a half years in now. I seem to be in this cycle with, you know, work that I'm really exploring in depth. And like you said, marinating like this work is just sort of like it's a slow braise, which mm. is really nice. Because I, I feel like when I was in the darkroom, oftentimes I was, I was maybe putting things out too quickly and not mm. letting things gestate. And I think it was fine at that time, but... I'm a different, different uh, stage of my life now, and, and it's I'm just working on these slower. But it's a series called "A Night on Fire: The Flood and the Falls," okay. and I, th- I think I'm about probably within a year of that series being complete. And it it sort of kind of picks up where the forest left off in a way, looking at different challenges and transitions that I've been going through, and using the landscape, you know, as as an analog. In this case, it's it's places that have been you know, radically altered and shaped by forces that we're not able to control, whether mm. it be geological forces, natural disaster, man-made disaster, or simply time and, and you know the cycles that we go through, and and looking at at that you know kind of as metaphor for things that you know in my life that I felt I was not able to control hmm, and and i'm really excited about this series it, it 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 has a slightly similar feel to the forest but it is you know it's not all nocturnes which is nice it's not relegated to one area the specific areas to me aren't integral so that's not important where the locations are but i'm i'm excited about that I don't have it on my website yet but when i think when the series is complete I'll, I'll put that up but yes. it's it's out there a little bit you can kind of probably google it and find some examples <laughs> right think we want to see it well, great well i look forward to seeing it yeah absolutely well thanks a lot ken thanks it's been a pleasure to yeah. have you appreciate uh the hanging out in portland yeah no and that that was the fun part we should we should we should have just recorded last night while we were what's <laughs> yeah. well, the other perk is we got to go out and have a good time yeah it was great i mean that's the best the best part about an event like uh photo lucido is yeah. yeah speaking of that you mentioned last night you had come to uh photo lucido when it was called photo america's photo america's yeah and you're talking about I think the first one you'd come to that you had bonded with these other photographers and that you're still friends with them now, yeah, like yeah. years later, you know, and that's, that just kind of like echoes the whole idea of like, this stuff works uh, you absolutely. Know, in so many ways. Absolutely. So at Photo America, is it's, uh, back then, did you get opportunities from the reviews beyond your friendships? Did you yeah. get opportunities at that point? Yeah, no, it was, it was wonderful. I mean, I remember I met, met Ann Pallison the time for the first time and mm. she was the uh, the gallery director at the time out at photo center northwest yeah. 
And, you know, it was one of those rare things because, you know, typically you come to this event like this and it, it's, it's, it's a conversation and you're, you're just sort of getting to know each other and you keep in touch. And she really reacted strongly to the Seen and Not Seen series. And she was like, I want to show this. I want to show this. And we had lunch that day. And she was like, no, I'm serious. I really would like to show this. And mm-hmm. so we, we had a show of that relatively quickly after that. Mm-hmm. And it was just kind of one of those things that doesn't happen very often. And then, you know, subsequently, you know, developed a nice friendship with, with her because she's, she's a fantastic person and has such a good eye, both as a photographer and, and as, you know, cur- on the curatorial end. Mm-hmm. I mean, she's, it was one of the, the great meetings. But yeah, it had a number of, of, of show opportunities that came, came from that session. And, nice. and that was terrific. I didn't know you back then. Did that series blow up like, uh, after your, your the Photo Americas thing, or was it? Because you know, it seemed like I mean that's how we all got to know you was from that series. Yeah, I feel like you know. So was it that was, really when it was rising? It was yeah, it was rising, and that I think it was already on on like maybe one or two series in at that point. Beyond that, mm-hmm. and it, it was it was some of the the photo fairs where it really I think between the the reviews and meeting people from the reviews and then getting getting work in with a few galleries, showing with a few galleries, and those galleries taking works to some of the different photo fests, like like a, a Photo LA, like an earlier incarnation of Photo mm-hmm. LA, and then there was like a Photo San Francisco, Photo New York. Having work shown there, it kind of blew up, and that was, yeah, it was, it was sort of, I wasn't really kind of prepared or expecting that. It was just like things happened pretty quickly, and it was it was exciting. I mean, it was very you know, wonderful to see people embrace work that I had put a lot of, just a lot of my soul into and putting it out there and to see people reacting to something that was so personal to my life and my experience. But I guess it it had, you know, it spoke on some universal level. That was, that was a gift. Sure. Excellent. Well, your gift, Ken. You too. Back at you, brother. (laughs) Thanks again for talking with me. Thank you, Blue. So there you have it, folks. That's a wrap. Hey, thanks for spending some time with Ken and me. You can still purchase Ken's book, Days on the Mountain, on his website, kenrosenthal.com. And while you're there, you should check out his other lovely portfolios. It appears there still may be a few copies of his catalog, Photographs 2001 through 2009, available as well. Right now, Ken has an exhibit up until the end of November at Photographer's Eye Collective in Escondido, California. You can check out their website at thephotographerseyecollective.com. I've put all the relevant links to Ken's social media and website in the show notes, as well as the other references from our chat. Thank you again for listening to the last diffusion tape from our extended first season. So here's the thing. I launched this podcast with the purpose of recording all my tapes face-to-face. Obviously, considering our time of social distancing, I wonder, should I buckle and record a season two remotely? This seems weird to me. It's similar to how I felt when I decided to release our print annuals in digital format. My hesitation aside, what do you all think? Should we record remotely like so many other podcasts are doing or have always done? Or should we just hit the pause button? So I recently reviewed portfolios for Click Photo Fest, which is based in North Carolina. 
And of course, I did it from the comfort of my home here in Portland, Oregon. So it was a little different than what I'm used to. And I did enjoy being able to talk to these artists, but I did miss the face-to-face, the body language that you get in a normal conversation uh, rather than looking at a screen. And I really miss the tactileness of prints and a lot of the artists' work that I see at these festivals. Uh, their prints are objects, which is partially why I really like photography. I like that it can go from 2D to 3D. And I really like what I see in the medium right now where people are expanding and trying new things and taking photography to next level, right? Anyway, I'm going on a tangent. My point is, it was nice to connect with people and have conversations and learn about their work. And when you're listening to a podcast, I kind of think that's what matters the most is the, the stories. Maybe it's worth doing some remote recording. What do you think? Send me your thoughts on this at hello at diffusiontapes.com. Where should we go from here? 